Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Always live at 9 a.m. Central Time and uh, all around the world. It is a fresh new podcast. I'm Crash. It's Friday. January January 5, 2024. Happy New Year from Stand Up for the Truth. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year indeed. We are approaching the end of our first week of 2024, and there's always a lot to talk about. But Elijah Abraham is my guest today, and we're glad to have him back. We're going to hear about his travels and bringing the gospel to so many. He has a true pastor's heart for the lost and those deceived by Islam, and he's, he's an energetic guy in his travels, and, and uh, he's such a blessing to the church. And before we uh, introduce him, I have my daily scripture, and then we can pray together. And today it's Romans eight thirty-five to 39, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Such great news for our days. Oh, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you again in thanks and praise for what you've done for us. Um, Lord, you've stamped eternity in our hearts so that we can bring the good news of the gospel to all those that we encounter. We ask for open doors, for opportunities to show forth the love of Christ. Teach us to wait on you for all things. And we thank you that you work in us to get us ready for eternity. We lift up Elijah today and ask, um, ask that you would just uh, protect him and his family, strengthen them, bless their labors. Uh, we thank you for the gifts you've given him to accomplish your will, Lord. And we just, uh, what a blessing he's been to so many. Thank you for him and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Elijah Abraham of Living Oasis Ministries. That's livingoasis.org. He is an evangelist, a speaker, a teacher of pastors and missionaries. He travels extensively uh, just to encourage those who are hungry for more of the Lord and more of the Word. Elijah, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. It's been too long. We need to catch up with you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, it's always uh, great to be with you. Tell us about Living Oasis and what the focus is of the ministry in general. As I'm on your website, uh, it gives uh, the ministry of Living Oasis. And number one, it says, Awaken the body of Christ to the Islamic agenda. And boy, is that ever needed, because all of a sudden, it is once again foremost in the headlines. Tell us about what you do with uh, Living Oasis ministry. Uh, yeah, um, it's interesting, uh, way before 9-11, uh, it happened that uh, I've been trying to help the church reach Muslims for Christ and explain to them uh, the threat of Islam as an ideology uh, and a political ideology. By the way, if you know, notice, I did not say a religion. It's an ideology. Right. Right. Um, but the church were really not interested at all. Then 9-11 mm -hmm. happened. 
uh, boy, I got busy for a long time. Mm. At that time, I was still in seminary. And uh, and then the church kind of more or less went back to sleep uh, <laughs> because of the amount and the huge amount of uh, propaganda uh, from the Islamists as, uh, and with the aiding and abetting of our uh, liberal media in the West uh, put uh, the American people, the West, uh, as well as the church back to sleep and accepting that Islam is harmless. Hmm. Um, so, uh, after I graduated, I was a mission pastor for a number of years, and then the Lord called us to start Living Oasis Ministry. Uh, and our ministry really to equip the church. And, and Islam is really is here to steal and kill and destroy because the spirit of Islam uh, is an antichrist spirit because it denies Jesus Christ came in the flesh, according to First John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. So uh, Islam, just like any uh, other ideologies and religions and spirits, it denies Jesus. And the only way to combat Islam is really with the gospel. Um, because, uh, you know, you could go and have wars like uh, the first Gulf War, second Gulf War, uh, war on terror, on Al-Qaeda, all that stuff that we've been dealing with the last 30, 40 years. But Islam is still there. Uh, you know, you get rid of Al-Qaeda, ISIS shows up. You get rid of ISIS, uh, Hezbollah shows up, or Hamas. All, but they're all drinking from the same well. Yeah. Um, the only way really to combat that is to replace that well with the Lord Jesus. And it's a battle for the hearts. And that's my, our ministry is to help the church see that, that Islam, uh, Jesus did not come to the earth to die for Islam, to redeem Islam, but he came to die for the Muslims. He came to mm. die for you and for me. Muslims are just people. Yeah. So Jesus did not come to redeem an ideology, but to redeem mankind, mm. including Muslims. And I truly believe Muslims in modern day, uh, just like as it was in Paul's day, are the greatest frontier, are the Gentiles, if you want to call that. Because if you look at Gentiles back then, uh, you're either uh, a Jew or non-Jew. Now in modern day, especially in the last 2000 years, the church age, uh, a Gentile who's anybody is non-Christian, non-believer. Uh, and the largest number of Gentiles of today are the Muslims, 1.4, 1.5 billion wow. people around the world. Wow. So the church does not see that. Uh, and the reason for that, because in the last century, a few centuries, uh, especially the 20th century, and, the, and even uh, went on to, uh, you know, it's more like in steroids in the last 30, 40 years, uh, is fear. So the church have been uh, locked into pr a prison of fear that uh, Muslims cannot be reached for Christ. Uh, they're hostile. They always uh, want to kill you and this and that. Well, there are certain elements of Muslims, just like you got certain elements of Christians who are, you know, wackos. Um, <laughs> and you've got cults here and there. And, uh, you know, we cannot say, all, you know, uh, Branch Davidian or uh, David Koresh, representation of Christianity. Yeah. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, you know, we have not learned to think critically and isolate, okay, which Muslims are we talking about? Is it my neighbor or is it Al-Qaeda? Uh, so it's the same thing. When I travel overseas and I say, oh, I'm from uh, America, everybody says, oh, my goodness, you guys in the streets of guns and uh, violence and so on. And there is no way I could walk in the streets in America or in Dallas or Houston or Chicago. 
Well, yeah, I would not be safe inside Dallas. <laughs> um, I felt safer in Israel than South Dallas. Yeah. So it, we can't do that. So, yeah. uh, and that's really where the burden uh, the Lord called me and my wife is to help the church to rely on the scripture, rely on God's spirit, and rely on the prayers of the saints that we can fight this good fight, that we can confront Islam and free Muslims from the prison of Islam. Well, and, um, and that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, and and it's so needed. There's also a lot of ignorance about Islam because uh, liberal leaning churches would say, "Well, it's the same God," you know, right? Uh, and that right. so you have to even break that barrier first and say, "No, it's not the same God." Before you can, oh even, my goodness! I mean, how yeah. do you know? There's just a lot of ignorance in the church of what Islam is. It also <laughs> says in your page that your wife has a ministry to American women married to Muslims. That must be Correct. that. What a wonderful ministry that is. What can you tell us about that? It's really interesting. If if you if you meet my wife, she's soft spoken, uh, uh, very quiet, very private, and God just brought that ministry and dumped it in her mm. lap. But <laughs> Twenty twenty two years ago, whatever, we were in seminary at the time, and and when I start going around and speaking in churches, and she travels with me, and and people constantly come to her or to me and say, uh, my daughter is uh, converting to Islam or mm. married. Uh, or my niece is marrying a Muslim, what can you do, what can you help? And usually when you're dealing with women, I just direct them to my wife and say, hey, sure. uh, I, I don't want to deal with that uh, because way too many uh, men in trouble uh, got in trouble with trying to help women. And that doesn't mean I cannot help women as long as their father, the husband, or the brother present mm -hmm. in the room to talk to the women mm. um and that's how the lord really put uh, brought that ministry uh, to my wife and uh she has been a counselor to them a friend uh, a theologian uh it, these women even though they're americans uh even though they live in america but they really live in prison emotionally spiritually mm -hmm. uh physically um, even women in the church are not immune to that um mm -hmm. We, uh, Cindy, uh, my wife, ministered to women who are uh, Muslims. We, we, have, we have come across um, pastors' wives, divorced their husband, and marry a Muslim because if they tried to minister to Muslims online, fall in love with a Muslim, and divorce her husband and leave her family. Wow. wow. These are pastors' wives. Uh, uh, one of the wow. women that my wife ministered to, she was a missionary, uh, met her husband while she was a single missionary in Africa. Uh, so uh, we have, have seen deacons daughters eldest daughters uh fall into that uh even if you remember one time one year in appleton uh at Calvary chapel appleton at the conference there was a couple there they brought their daughter who met a muslim she was 19 or uh, 18 but uh, a man online in england a muslim and she's head over heel gonna marry him so I met with her, talked to her. She changed her mind. Mm. Well, a year, a year later, she moved to England and married the guy. Wow. Uh, so uh, it, Islam, because it's such a, uh, it's a, it has a spirit, is a very seductive spirit, a very alluring spirit. That uh, if if you are not born again and you really have the armor of God around you, you will definitely be deceived. Wow. And. Um, Unfortunately, uh, many, like you said earlier, that many churches even believe that worship the same God. That's such blasphemy mm -hmm. um, because uh, Allah is not trying on God. He did not have a son to send to mankind. Right. Uh, so, and he's unknowable. 
God of the Bible, Yahweh, he is a triune God. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's Son, the Lord Jesus, to die for you and for me. And through Christ and Christ and as children of God, we can know him and we could call him Abba Father. That does not exist in Islam. So how can we say it's the same God? And at the same time, our hope in Christ, when we get to heaven, we're going to be in his presence. We're going to see him. We're going to worship him. We're going to be with him forever. We're going to see him in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. We shall see his face and his name will be written in our forehead. Mm. That does not exist in Islam. Eschatology and life after death, according to Islam, that uh, good Muslims will go to paradise, but Allah and heaven, heaven and paradise are two separate places. Allah does not live as people. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 says, God Almighty will be among us and he'll be, and he repeats himself three times in that verse. He will be among us. So how could we say we worship the same God? And uh, Mary, that the problem is this kind of thinking was developed in the West, specifically in the United States, and now it's being exported globally. So when I travel overseas and try to equip church, uh, the church, that's the nonsense that they have bought into and accepted. Mm. So I had to demolish that, mm. break all that down, and start from the beginning with the biblical foundations and build that up. Wow. It's been really, uh, it's, it's angering, it's a righteous yeah. anger, but you know what? Uh, they mourn, these national pastors, they mourn and they cry. They said, how come we have been taught such false teaching? And I said, yeah, they have a blame, the missionaries who come and they, Bring this ideology. God will hold them accountable. I said, but mm. God is holding you accountable too. Mm. If you're born again, you have the spirit of God, you have the Bible, put your thinking hat on, be it discerning. <laughs> yeah. Just because somebody comes from America, including me, I said, show, you know, compare with the scripture, be good Bereans. Mm. So it's been, it's been a challenge. I'll bet. I'll bet. And I, if anyone on the listening audience, uh, is, is wrestling with this, maybe they know a, of a gal or a daughter who, who is enamored of an, a uh, Muslim, Man and, and are thinking this way are, are in already in this livingoasis.org is the website. I would encourage you to go to that. Speaking of your travels, I know you took an extensive missions trip last fall and I, you know, you uh, sent uh, prayer requests out and we're happy to pray while you're there. I know that it's an incredible schedule that you keep when you travel. Can you tell us about that trip? I'm very anxious to hear where you went and some of the, mostly to pastors, right? You spoke to pastors in Bible schools, that sort of thing. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, last uh, in the fall, is, I, I left September 11th on <laughs> uh, 9-11 and got back mid-October. So it was about 20, 24, 25 day wow. uh, trip. Uh, I went to Indonesia. Um, I spoke and I taught in four seminaries, uh, conducted four conferences and uh, did uh, three seminars, uh, all to pastors and, and uh, uh, seminary students. Uh, and I preached in five churches. And the first church I preached at, uh, was two days after I arrived, uh, was a mega church. Believe it or not, there are mega churches mm-hmm. in the largest Muslim countries in the world. And it's, uh, the model is typical mega church in America. It's, it's not, it's crazy. The first service that they had was seven o'clock in the morning. And I thought, who's going to show up at seven in the morning? <laughs> uh, well, guess what? We had about 1200 people show up at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. Then ne- uh, the next service about 1030, 1040. And then uh, the third was five o'clock in the afternoon. And the Lord blessed that day uh, because when I says open your Bibles, they had the shocked look on their face. Oh, we're going to open the Bible today. So we went through a scripture. And that day we had 40 people got saved, 40, wow. four zero wow. in one day in the one church. 
people are hungry to hear the truth because they have been gone through such a difficult time globally uh, in the last, last three years, especially with the lockdowns and COVID and nonsense. Um, and people are uh, realize, believe me, even non-believers outside the church, they know there's something going on in the world and they know uh, there is a spiritual element to it, but they don't know what to do about it. So this is a, such a golden opportunity for Christians to share the love of Christ with people, no matter who they are, or where they are. Uh, let, the, let them know that God loves them. There is a plan uh, and he's on a, on schedule and things will happen uh, according to the scripture. And they they cannot be uncertain. They can be certain mm. that they can be with God. Uh, so, and we went to another, uh, uh, cities, did the same thing in different uh, areas. We see in more, more people got saved. So we total we had about 45 people got saved. And then I got, I kept getting invitations. Usually, uh, in Indonesia, I go only once a year. Uh, but I got so many invitations. I could not fit it in, uh, in one trip. So this year I'm going twice for the first time. I'm going in June and in July. Uh, so I'm really excited about that because, uh, while I was in Indonesia, I got an invitation to go to the Philippines. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing, um, in June and never been to the Philippines. So I've been in 47 countries. So that's going to be number 48. And, uh, for me, uh, this month, next month, uh, I'm preparing for, uh, um, Eastern Europe. I'm going to five countries in Ooh. six weeks. Oh. Uh, I'm going to Romania, Moldova, Bulgaria, uh, Poland for the first time, and uh, Ukraine. Um, uh, we the war in Ukraine started. The Lord—that's another thing. We we led by the Spirit wherever the Lord lead us, and open a door. Uh, we okay, uh, we'll go and do it. We don't know how to do it, but we'll do it. So uh, now, almost two years, uh, the Lord has, uh, blessed us, uh, our ministry by raising funds and coming alongside of our partners in Moldova, as well as Romania, to minister to, uh, the refugees and, uh, Ukrainian refugees in Moldova, um, as well as those who are left behind in Ukraine, inside Ukraine, wow. in, uh, bombed out uh, villages and cities. And, uh, so just to give you an example, this past summer, um, the Lord has blessed us to help send three tons of flour to bake bread inside Ukraine at a local church. Uh, we sent about five tons of food supplies, as well as uh, I don't know how many thousands of Bibles and tracts. Uh, usually they come uh, to the local church, they hear the gospel message, we they pray with them, and then as they leave, they get a stack of food and supplies that keep them going for about a week. We've been sent in vans from, um, with food every week, uh, from Moldova. Um, and God has been really uh, blessing us to help these uh, people. We've seen many, many come to Christ. Uh, we sponsored uh, three camps, uh, uh, t- uh, little kids to go to summer camp. Uh, and we've seen many kids come to Christ and most of which are in shock because of what they've seen and experienced in a war zone. Uh, no doubt. Um, so, uh, the Lord has used us, uh, to be the arm and, and feet and mouth of Christ to those who never heard of him. Uh, and also to encourage the church. What's happening in Ukraine right now, uh, we have experienced and seen exactly the same thing in what happened in Middle East. When ISIS came along and Al-Qaeda came along, we've seen thousands of Arab Muslims come to know Christ in refugee camps. Uh, 
because they realize that life at their doorstep and Islam has not promised them anything. Hmm. What we are seeing in Ukraine is the same thing. Uh, when when uh, death step, they've seen their loved ones die or being fought in wars and so on. Very tender to listen to the gospel message. Hmm. So now we've seen hundreds and thousands of the Ukrainians come to know Christ, but here's the challenge. Half of the pastors left uh, Ukraine already because of either persecution from the government and the Orthodox Church, uh, or their, their churches being bombed out, and some of them being called to the not that they did not believe in. So our ministry is going to be uh, coming alongside of uh, the young uh, pastors and young believers to mentor them and uh, equip them to carry on uh, with the gospel, as well as uh, my ministry partner in uh, Romania. He's doing the same thing. Um, so so uh, that's what I will be doing in Eastern Europe. We'll, uh, when I go to Ukraine, we'll be driving two van, uh, or going with two van convoy full of uh, food and books. Um, and I'll be preaching, I think, in a couple of churches. And just a love on these uh, people and pray with them. And um, this uh, about a month ago, one of my partners, they said, look, we'd be getting so many people. Uh, we have one oven, portable oven to bake bread. It's not enough. Can you please pray for a secondary oven. Hmm. I said, I'm running out of money for funds for that. Let's hmm. pray. And we did. And within two days, the Lord provided the funds for that. And, oh. and I sent it to them and they bought another oven. Now they can double the capacity of producing and bacon bread for these uh, dear people. Wow. Um, so our ministry is really has expanded, just not just talk about Islam and equipping church about Muslim, but I'm teaching theology, teaching yeah. pastoral care, uh, teaching uh, biblical counseling, as well as humanitarian wow. work that we're doing. Uh, all of that is just my wife and I. <laughs> wow. uh, so for God to use a redneck from Baghdad is amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, you're staying busy, occupying with the things of the Lord, in these times we're living in. And I was going to ask you about, you know, when you travel, like say you're going to, you say, Eastern Europe and such, have you noticed, because, you know, immigration has changed the face of the whole world, especially this country, and we can talk about that in the second half, but um, have you noticed the demographics changing around the world as you travel? Do things, does the world just look different to you than it did maybe, maybe five or even ten years ago? Uh, mainly it has changed in the West, and that's been pretty okay. much intentional. Yeah, uh, but uh, everywhere else, it's you know they they're very much uh, protective of their culture and okay. their identity and their language. I think uh, the the war has been going on against the West, against Europe and North America. Uh, it's been going on for at least uh, I would say mid sixties started uh, and got worse and worse. And creating these wars intentionally by deep state to create a huge migration of refugees. I mean, to give an example, when nobody asking that question. And the question is, why would millions of Muslims leave Muslim countries because of wars to a culture and countries that's different culture, different religions, different societies that they're not used to? And they're trying to force these countries to uh, be submissive to their own culture where they came from, such as Islam and Islamic culture. Mm -hmm. Why would not Muslim countries accept their fellow Muslims into their countries instead of being exported to the West? Hmm. And that's very much intentional. Mm -hmm. And and the reason by intentional, you have to look at it again from a deep state, um, you know, the cabal or whatever you want to call them. Um, they are basically, uh, their goal is, is really to sub have the whole planet submissive to them. 
to be the slave owners and um, a depopulation of the planet. But the one, the things that has been stick in the mud in their plan are the Western societies, which is open, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. So what better way to demolish that than bring a huge group of people who are ideology, such as Islam, are intolerant to open societies, intolerant to freedom of religion, intolerance to the church. So they succeeded in Europe by keeping uh, European church uh, as a whole, the body of Christ, silent and neutered yeah. uh, So and take away the freedom of speech as a continent. They succeeded in uh, Canada. Uh, so now, really, the United States is the final battleground uh, for such battle. And unfortunately, with uh, uh, the aiding and abetting of the li- uh, liberal media and liberal church and liberal theologians and liberal uh, seminaries where they say we worship the same God and Islam as a peaceful religion and all that nonsense, uh, we are in danger. Yeah. Um, and if you notice, it's interesting, um, you know, jihad and and Islamic terrorism and so forth was uh, at the height of, uh, you know, Bush administration, well, Clinton, Bush, and Obama. But when President Trump came along, everything went silent. That did not happen in America. No Islamic terrorist attack, nothing. And Muslim Brotherhood was silent. Everybody was silent. And the reason for that, because they understand strength. And basically, Trump decided, you kill one of us, we're going to come after you with, with that sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, we have uh, the threat of Islam again yeah. deep in its head. Why? Because they have a friend in the White House and in our culture again. Yep. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's a problem, uh, and nobody really kind of dealing with that. And, of course, uh, what I'm saying is such politically incorrect, not just in the, in the media or the culture. I'm talking about within the church. Mm. Uh, I've been I've been called all kind of names uh, by fellow Christians or pastors or missionaries, and that they have to be held accountable to God. You have to call a spade a spade. Yeah. I cannot be fellowshipping with a satanic spirit. How could we do that? Right. Um, and unfortunately, that's where we are. Wow. And you hit the nail on the head with every single one of those points. Um, you know, Islam is the fastest growing religion globally. Um, they're expecting two point nine enforced billion. religion. Let's put it this yes. way. Yes. Yes. Um, population of, they're looking at 2.9 billion by 2050, uh, if the Lord tarries. But, you know, um, Elijah, we have all these, uh, young men, these angry young men coming through the border, which of course they can build a wall. Uh, they can, they can do all kinds of things to keep people out. Young, young men, soldiers who, who oppose open societies and yet they take advantage of our open border to stream through and, and, and connect with uh, Islam in the states, Hamas chapters or whatever, whatever is within the states. And I see, um, boy, if they want to take down America, uh, somebody just flipped the switch and that could easily happen. Um, just because of, I don't know what the estimates would be of, of Islamic uh, young men coming over the border. Do you have any idea? We have like a minute and a half before our break. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to guess, uh, but it's a pretty scary numbers. Mm. Uh, I talked to one time a retired Secret Service who still have connections and so on. Um, he he gave me some numbers, and this was like uh, ten years ago. Uh, scared the living dead out of me back then, <laughs> and I'm sure it's worse mm. today. So, yeah. like you said, if somebody you know with a plan, somebody turned the switch on. Yeah, to put fear in everybody. Right. This is reality. Right. When you have an open border, an open door, what do you expect? 
Right. We should not be, not be surprised by any of that. Um, and, and I think, uh, there's always talk about civil war in America. And we've had, we've had so much violence in the streets in the last few years and no one has, has called anyone into account for it. You know, BLM and other groups like that destroying American cities. And yet, you know, no one, no one has paid for that as far as I know, or we sure don't hear about it. But, um, talking to J.B. Hickson yesterday, there's a movie coming out uh, called Civil War. Uh, coming out this spring in America, and I watched the trailer on it, and it's, it's you know, you say you don't want to scare anybody, and we don't. We never want to do that here. And yet, reality tells us that we're headed for some difficult times taking down this country. This is Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We are talking to Elijah Abraham, Living Oasis Ministries, Ministry to Islam, Muslims, uh, livingoasis.org, if you're interested in that. And uh, there's a lot there. Uh, read about the mission statement. Read about what they're doing. In the second half, Elijah, I want to talk to you about Hamas. And I know that there is a uh, almost a hundred year history of Hamas. A lot of people don't know uh, who they are, uh, who the Muslim Brotherhood is. I know you know a lot about that. So we're going to talk in the next half about that and the connection to Nazism. I've been doing a lot of research on that. It is very, very interesting. So again, Elijah Abraham is my guest today on this Friday, January the 5th. I almost said December because time is going so fast. And we are going to be back in just a couple of minutes after a word from our sponsors. Remember, we're listener supported. We appreciate all of you out there. Join me for the second half with Elijah Abraham. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for January the 5th. Elijah Abraham is my guest, livingoasis.org, if you're interested in ministry to the Muslims. And he was saying in the first half how it kind of comes and goes with Americans. You know, 9-11 happens and everyone wants to know about Islam um, and then there's a lull because they go back to their lives. It doesn't affect them. And yet it's all still going on behind the scenes. Nothing has changed. And now we have Hamas, a horrific, savage attack on Israel. And all of a sudden now we have to backtrack and, and find, get out uh, a good history lesson about who Hamas is. And this is what I want to ask Elijah in the second half here, <clears throat> because it's my understanding that Hamas came out of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was established in 1928. And there are, it, there are Nazi connections. It's a fusion. Islam is really a fusion of political movement between Nazism and, um, um, Islam or the teachings of Muhammad. And so welcome back, Elijah. And I, I want to ask you, please give us the history. We were talking off air. Give us that history of Hamas, the, the Ottoman Empire, um, Muslim Brotherhood. Where do you want to start with that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I know some people probably by listening to what I'm about to say, oh, this is a conspiracy theory and so mm-hmm. forth. But they just need to really go back and read history. And it's all there. Um, if you go back to, uh, really need to go back to the late 18, mid to late 1800s, where the British intelligence uh, really kind of more or less uh, set plans uh, to rule the world, but uh, utilizing uh, different groups, different ideologies uh, to do their biddings. Um, and, and right around that time, there was a, in the early 20th century, where there is a, uh, especially around the First uh, World War, uh, if you remember the movie Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. uh, and he was a British intelligence officer. 
And uh, and at that time, uh, there was uh, Bin Saud, uh, the father of the Saudi Arabian, uh, uh, modern day Saudi Arabia. And he's basically the grandfa- great grandfather of um, uh, uh, the current um, crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Um, and he tried to, and there was a, basically a civil war uh, with the Hashemites uh, who been uh, evicted um, and now they are ruling Jordan, the Hashemites. Uh, the Hashemites supposedly are the direct descendants of Muhammad. Hmm. Uh, so, and in, alongside with that, there was a group of young men who called themselves brothers that Bin Saud used uh, to fight their, um, their that kind of war, uh, the civil war, but at the same time fought the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, which Saudi Arabia at that time also was a territory part of Middle East. And when they did that, of course, uh, the uh, British intelligence uh, communicated and using um, Lawrence Arabian. And there is another uh, British officer who converted to Islam, by the way, uh, at that time to work all of these uh, little um, movements in the background. Now, when that happened and after the uh, Bin Saud established his rule uh, and they, uh, the British uh, intelligence uh, realized, well, maybe we cannot rely on him. So let's uh, divert our attention and we establish a new um, alliance with Iran uh, at that time uh, and establish a, put a puppet ruler there. And uh, they tried to assassinate uh, the father, uh, you know, Bin Saud. And when he discovered that plan, uh, using these brothers, these radicals, uh, he kicked them out and he won that war. And But they went to Egypt. And thus, the Muslim Brotherhood was established in 1928 by uh, Hassan al-Banna. Mm-hmm. And Hassan al-Banna, then you go down, let me give you the just brief uh, you know, down the line, who did he disciple? He discipled a guy, uh, his name is, uh, uh Said Qutb, uh, and, uh, he wrote a book, um, and called, uh, In the Shade of the Quran and Milestones. Uh, this is the, that's the manual of modern day jihad. So every group, whatever you think of, whoever the name is, Al Qaeda, Hamas, ISIS, whoever it is, that's their constitution. That's their book. Um, and in turn, he discipled al-Zawahiri. Al-Zawahiri discipled Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden discipled al-Baghdadi. Uh, okay, al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden established al-Qaeda. Al-Baghdadi established ISIS. And from that uh, kind of mindset and ideology of Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas was established in, uh, in Israel, uh, or Gaza in this case. Uh, Al-Mujahidun in England, uh, Hizb al-Tahrir in Lebanon and other places, wow. and then you go on and on and on. So all of that really was started way back in the, uh, around the first Gulf, uh, I'm sorry, first World War, uh, all by the British intelligence. <laughs> Believe that or not. Oh my goodness. So at the same time, uh, Hamas was established using the ideology of, of, uh, of Muslim Brotherhood, but was really aided and, and encouraged and established by the Mossad, uh, the Israeli intelligence. You might say, whoa, that's a shock. No, it's not a shock. It's public uh, information. Now, the question is why? And that was back, it was established in 1987. That's when Hamas was established. Mm-hmm. The question is why? 
Well, it was established to counteract PLO because at that time, um, Yasser Arafat and PLO is the main uh, group fighting Israel since the 60s. Um, and uh, the Mossad wanted their uh, you know, other groups to be established to fight each other so that to keep keep them weak and so forth. But it's just like everywhere else. Just like uh, the CIA established, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mujahideen in uh, Afghanistan to fight the Soviet Union, and out of that offshoot, Al Qaeda was established and uh, funded by the CIA. But guess what? You you fund a, a, a flame, kindle a flame, is going to come back and burn you. Uh, you yeah. you take a, an animal, and uh, next thing you know, that animal becomes a beast and comes back and bites you. It's the same thing here. So, and that's what happened. And uh, Hamas uh, intro, it was established, like I said, in 87. In 1993, that's a document that used to be classified. And now you can, uh, I, I do have a PDF file. Uh, I have to push for it where it's at, but it's online. Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood plan, uh, planners, there was a meeting in Philadelphia mm-hmm. in 1993. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, that's basically implementation of Muslim Brotherhood and Islamic Jihad in the West. Wow. Uh, and, and that's really what they are still uh, implementing that. And then in 2001, Holy Land Foundation uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it was uh, in Dallas. There was a court and they were indicted. And over 92 organizations in the United States, Muslim Brotherhood organizations, were unindicted co-conspirators, including CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations. So uh, they've been around um, in the United States, I would say, since uh, mid-60s. Mm-hmm. In the late 60s, we have Muslim Student Association in almost every major university in the United States. There's a Muslim Students Association, which is a Muslim Brotherhood. So now when you go to a university and you say anything against Islam, boy, uh, you'll be lucky to be kicked out of the of the campus without being hurt or being beaten up. And that's why we see all the uh, riots uh, and protests right. about uh, uh, Palestine and Hamas. I never thought in my wildest dream that in the United States we have uh, protests uh, and sometimes riots uh, promoting uh, and a a, a terrorist organization that is already being called a terrorist organization, according to the State Department and the United States government, is called Hamas. Wow. And we are okay with it as a, as a nation. What I mean we, I'm talking about as a government, as a nation, those who are supposed to protect the United States. But here we are. You yeah. go to campuses, all pro-Hamas. You go to Washington, D.C., they try to break the walls of the White House. Uh, what was that, about a month ago or so? Uh, and nobody went to prison, but yet you got J- January 6th uh, uh, peaceful uh, protesters on prison for the last three years. Yeah, right. So it, it, you talk about double standards, and that's really what concerns me about where America is headed. <laughs> uh, and all of what we are seeing is very much intentional. Uh, the question is why Hamas did what they did. And, uh, and if, you do, if you're okay with that, let me run this by you. Um, they did admit that they've been uh, planning for October 7th attack for two years. And the reason for that, since uh, Abrahamic Accord. Well, if you remember, Abrahamic Accord under the President Trump basically made peace with number of uh, Israel made peace with number of Arab uh, countries. So Hamas realized that if the Arab countries came together and made peace with Israel, 
They could never spread their hate for the Jews or Israel and keep the money flowing from these Arab-rich countries. Iran and Hamas realized that the Abrahamic Accord could be the beginning of the end of the Iranian regime as well. Mm-hmm. And this is why Khamenei supported Hamas, which is really interesting. Iranians are Shia, Hamas are Sunni. Historically, they hate each other. Right. But they got the Shia funding a Sunni organization, Hamas, uh, to fight Israel. Why? Because it's a common enemy right. that both Shia and Muslim, again, drinking from the same well from Muhammad and the Quran mm. by hating the Jews and Israel. Wow, absolutely fascinating. This is Stand Up for the Truth. We're talking to Elijah Abraham today, alivingoasis.org. And I have a, I have an article here, a white paper uh, from George Washington University, The Hamas Networks in America, A Short History. It is so fascinating. And every date you give, everything you say is is absolutely spot on. And this uh, this Philadelphia group, the in 1993, the FBI wiretapped this right. meeting and uh, so that they could understand exactly what was going on. And they talk about war being a deception. Um, but it's go, go ahead and deceive because that's, you know, just it's all make believe and it's all about deception. So you can lull the West. And I guess I'm leading up to the uh, I want your opinion on Israel and how this seemed to catch them off guard. Um I don't know what you know or what you think about that, but this has puzzled me from the beginning of October 7th, especially they are so well-versed in intelligence, and you say, and I think it's knowledge that they have been planning this for some time. What is your take on how Israel seemed to be caught off guard by what happened? You know, I don't have enough intelligence as far as papers and facts in front of me. Um, all i got to go by is what I read. Uh, online and what I hear. Mm-hmm. And I, or even with that, I have to be really discerning where is the source of what I'm reading coming sure. from. Um, so it's really been difficult to read to discern. Yeah. However, it's, it's, uh, Israel already, um, acknowledged that they knew about this at least a year, two years prior to what happened. So the question is why, why they did not do anything about it? Yeah. Why were they caught off guard? Why were the seven hours, uh, of, no retaliation or response to it. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Um, but somebody needs to answer it, not me. Yeah. The Israeli government needs to answer that. Actually, their own people demanding to uh, get an answer to that question because yeah. you got what fourteen, fifteen hundred people were slaughtered. Yeah. So it's it's really it boggles my mind because uh, you know very well, and uh, I've been to Israel twice. I'm telling you, the security is amazing. Yeah. So for that to happen, and the way it did, uh, it's not shocked the world, but shocked even the Israelis, because they had such huge confidence of their own right. intelligence. And it's come to find out, um, either somebody from the inside, or they just kind of uh, uh, put their guard down because yeah. of confidence. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and this is such a touchy yeah. subject that mm-hmm. um, I, I cannot really c- comment as far as, okay, which route I could go because I don't have the enough information sure. to do that. Sure, and that's great because I was just looking for an honest answer, and I think you're falling right where we all are. We love Israel. We support Israel, but we're we scratching do. our heads over this. And I had an interesting thought yesterday. Bear with me for a second um, as I just talk about this because uh, I'm tying the, the peace accord in because on September 30th, I was reading about the Abrahamic Accords, and a week later, all of a sudden, that's out of the news. And I thought of a verse um, about you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, and it, it talks about the times and the seasons. 
Um, and it talks about sudden destruction. And I'm talking about conceptually here. I'm not applying this verse to what happened, but I'm talking about a mindset. You know, they're busy establishing peaceful relations with other countries, Arab countries, which of itself is monumental. Noticeable, but notice what it puts side by side. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And again, I'm not tying this together, but I'm pointing out a mindset that lulls people into a false sense of security which may have contributed to them being caught off guard by Hamas and Iran. And making peace with your enemies that want your destruction is never such a grand idea anyway. But there's more than one way to be lulled. The church can be lulled. We can be lulled. Israel can certainly be lulled by these peace um, accords or attempting to make peace. What, what do you think about that? Well, also you have to remember when you're talking about uh, in September, the documents that you read uh, for the last couple of years, uh, Israel and being secret negotiation with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia yeah. were getting really close to have a peace accord and plan with Israel. And Hamas and especially Iran would not stand for it. Because if Saudi Arabia make peace, then um, you're looking at the idea of hate in Israel kind of being uh, the pull being pulled out of everybody's uh, feet. I remember when I was in Middle East and growing up as a Muslim, uh, when we say, and I, whenever I hear the word enemy, we know exactly who that is. That's Israel, the Jews. Um, and of course, uh, America are uh, co-conspirators of Israel, and that's right. how we grew up uh, doing that. So you're absolutely right. I think this loneliness, this kind of sense of uh, false secu- uh, security, um, it, it applies not just to what's happening in right now in the Middle East, but applies even in the church. Yeah. And as a result, we kind of become easily being deceived. Like mm-hmm. uh, you got a lot of Christians believe we worship the same God, Allah and Yahweh. Uh, and we have no discernment. We're not on the alert. And if you notice in the New Testament, you know, constantly, whether it be in the Gospels or in the, uh, in the epistles, we constantly being warned. Be on the alert. Mm-hmm. Do not be deceived. Be on the alert. And of all kind of aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to have, as a church, rude awakening. Now, mm-hmm. here's the concerning things that I, ha- I have experienced since October 7th, the attack within the church, which is really dangerous. And that is the replacement theology. Yes. Where it talks about the church have replaced uh, Israel as God's people. Um, and, um, if you really truly believe in replacement, replacement theology, and I'm one of the few Arab Christians believe in, uh, don't believe in replacement theology. Many of the Arab Christians who are wonderful people, uh, who love the Lord, even pastors do believe in replacement theology. And I'm constantly, whenever I'm around them, constantly poking the bear. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, it, if that's true, that the church replaced Israel, you're basically making Yahweh, God of the Bible, uh, a liar. Mm-hmm. Because he's the one who initiated the contract with Abraham. He's the one that swore by himself that he'll make a nation out of him. He's the one that gave the land to uh, the Jewish people. So by saying that the church replaced Israel, then his promise was, was really nothing. Uh, doesn't mean anything. His name doesn't mean anything. And that's such blasphemous thinking. Um, so, it, and that's what I'm seeing since October, uh, the attack on Israel, that within the church, it seems like there is uh, a small little bit of flame of anti-Semitism. Uh, and that's dangerous uh, road to go on. And I think uh, the Bible believing Christians 
who believe what the scripture says uh, need to really hold other Christians accountable from spreading such venomous uh, theology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and challenge them because if God doesn't keep his His promises to Israel, will he keep his promises to the church? And, right, and, and we see so many scriptures uh, in, the, in the Old Testament talks about specifically the land, specifically the people, specifically Israel. So if you believe that Israel is no longer in God's plan, then just might as well get rid of all these prophecies out of the way. Right, right. Yes, it is very sticky, and you keep poking that bear, Elijah. Uh, one more question. I think we'll have time for one more here uh, in the next several minutes. Um, we, we talked about Sunni and Shia. Uh, now, I believe, are they Shiite? They are Shia. Yeah, Shia. Okay, and now it says there's a headline just today. Israeli security expert warns Hezbollah's tunnel infrastructure more advanced than Hamas's underground Gaza network. That's a little scary because now uh, we're talking about the Galilee region and the Golan and that sort of thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on a northern war, which could actually be a lot scarier than what's going on right now? Yeah, it could happen. Um, and because if that happened, then slowly but surely it will expand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you got... Uh, it, Iranian uh, intelligence and military troops in Syria that Israel has been uh, engaged and hitting them every now and then. Um, So that kind of spills out into Israel, uh, into Syria, I'm sorry. Uh, Jordan is walking on a fine line right now, uh, just like they always been in the first Gulf War, second Gulf War. Um, So it's it's a really dangerous thing. Egypt is kind of minding on their own business right now. Hamas um, or the the Palestinians to come into their territory. Uh, and some people ask me, well, why would they close the border? Why wouldn't they accept them, accept the refugees? In a way, uh, when General Sisi, the the current president of Egypt right now, when he came to power, he made uh, Muslim Brotherhood illegal to operate in Egypt, and he basically uh, executed over 600 um, uh, Muslim uh, Brotherhood leadership. Uh, So he recognizes, and uh, when uh, there was the open border, the Palestinians created so many problems uh, because they're part of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. So in in his plans, uh, I don't want that to happen in my country anymore, so uh, I'm not going to allow any Palestinians to come in. Again, it's one of the other things. Okay, when we talk about Palestinian refugees, how many of them are Hamas members? Are are they all of them? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Percentage-wise, it's going to be high. Mm -hmm. So so that's the issue because when you have two, three, four generations of Palestinians with that kind of mindset, grew up in such hatred, Mm -hmm. uh, of course they're going to be Hamas members. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is distrust between the Egyptians and the Palestinians. But if if uh, there is a northern war opens up, um, I pray to God that uh, the United States will not be involved in this, because if it does, then the game is over. Wow. And uh, there is a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17, which talks about Damascus will be a city no more. That's a tactical nuclear device. And if you remember, I've made that presentation in uh, Calvary Chapel, Appleton, a few mm-hmm. years ago. Um, it's... Uh, is that the beginning of that? I really don't know. We'll we'll find out. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a war of Gog of Magog, uh, you know, uh, the nations and the pact of those nations already in place. When you have Russia, Turkey, and Iran signed an accord, security accord, an agreement about five, six years ago, it's already here. 
So uh, my warning to the church, wake up church, yeah. um, our Lord is coming. He's coming really soon. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, the war of Gog and Magog, when does that happen? Before or after the rapture? I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> all I look at the signs. When I see the signs that the foundation of such war already in place, I know Jesus is coming really soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we don't need to get bogged down with time frames. We certainly exactly. can just know, um, don't trade what we know for what we don't know, and, and simply stick with what the Scripture says. And uh, I think we have enough to just teach the Bible for what it says, front to back. We don't have to worry about some of those details because the church is asleep and doesn't know that. And another thing we're looking at, Elijah, with just a couple minutes left here, is Iran deploys destroyer to tense Red Sea. And so now the U.S. has established a a naval task force to protect uh, shipping in the region because that's causing financial difficulties for those who are shipping uh, maritime shipping and that sort of thing, and then there's oh, it the, will affect you and me too. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and the Houthi attacks that are going on over there. What's next, Elijah? Uh, we have two minutes left. What's what's yeah. next? <laughs> yeah, the Houthis are basically Shia, funded by okay. Iran as well. Okay. Their muscles all Iranian. Uh, so uh, they Iran is trying very hard right now to keep poking the American bear to have some kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to send destroyers, wow. uh, and there's they have no they have no match with the United States uh, Navy. So uh, again, it's one of those dangerous things. Uh, is the United States going to buy, uh, you know, uh, be lulled or uh, pulled into yeah. such conflict? I pr- yeah. pray to God that there are. Uh, enough grown-ups in the Defense Department uh, and the uh, the United States government who are uh, not warmongers to jump at any war. Yeah, yeah. Um, the deep state in the United States are dying to have a third world war. Yep, because they that's are. how the deep state uh, operates. It's a constant, perpetual wars no matter what. Right. So I pray that there are some uh, men uh, who have good head on their shoulder sure. and to say, no, this is as far as we go. We're not going to be engaged in this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, bringing America down because we are the one thing that is keeping this global, um, this one big happy kumbaya world from happening. And so you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, again, the, the, you said the Houthis are Iranian. Are they from- they're Shi- no, they're Shia. Uh, okay. They are Yemenis. Yemenis. And they're Shia, and they went through a civil war, and they're basically in country right now. Okay. Saudi Arabia tried to get rid of them; they couldn't. Okay. Um, and uh, now they are the first country as a country wa- uh, waged war, uh, declared war, on Israel after October seventh. Okay. Uh, they are the only oh. country that did that. Okay. Oh, so, wow. Uh, so much to keep an eye on, Elijah Abraham. We're so grateful that you're on. You always are. Uh, a fountain of information, and and we will be praying for your trips this year, 2024. Sounds like you have a lot of open doors and opportunities, and we'll be praying for good health for you and for strength and for your wife's ministry. Thank you. So thank you for being on with me. Um, all right, we have uh, putting another uh, podcast to rest and a week to uh, to bed here, but we have Monday, uh, Tara, our own Tara on the morning show, uh, Human Trafficking on Monday, so uh, tune in for that. We have Miller next next week. We have T.A. McMahon next week, Pete Garcia. And then uh, the following week, we have Elisa Childers, and we're looking forward to her new book coming out at the same time. So thank you for joining me today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.